Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hi friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we're continuing our devotional reading through Matthew with the second half of chapter one. You remember we did the genealogy yesterday. So if you haven't quite got that far, I would encourage you to go back and to watch that. You can also hit the subscribe button or follow along in your podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Starting at verse 18 of chapter one, and today I'm reading from the NIV. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You know, there's a number of questions that come up from this passage every time I read it or teach it or talk about it in Bible study. And if I'm honest, when I've read it in the past in my own personal study, there were some questions that I had. And maybe you've had some of the same questions as well. One of the things that I often thought about is whether or not an engagement would require a divorce. And, you know, I think that's a normal question when we're looking at it from our Western modern perspective. One of the things that I say often on the podcast is even though scripture was written for us, it was not originally written to us. It was written to an ancient people group that existed a long time ago in a different kind of culture. And so when we read the scripture, we have to consider the way the original audience would have heard it or understood it. And so it's really important to understand some of the customs of that time frame. And so if I'm asking that question about whether an engagement requires a divorce, I have to look through the lens of the time that this was written. You know, in the Jewish culture, and remember, this is the Jewish culture we're talking about because Jesus was just coming on the scene. We can't even say Jewish Christians because they didn't believe in Jesus yet. This was the very, very beginning. So we're talking about a Jewish culture. And so in a Jewish culture, engagement was legally binding. See, the marriage customs of the Jewish people at the time had two stages. The first stage was the engagement stage or the betrothal stage, as it would have been called. And in that stage, they would have chosen a spouse and that was usually aided by the parents. Sometimes they chose themselves, but more often it was the parents that did the arrangements. And the parents of the man would choose a girl to become the wife to their son. And typically that happened as young as ages 12 to 13 years old for the girls. 
the boys would have been maybe a little bit older, maybe closer to 18. But again, still within that time frame, they would have been very, very young. Once someone was selected, there were official arrangements made and it would be a formal agreement with witnesses and they would enter into this legally binding contract and the man would then have legal rights over the woman. So at that point, that contract could only be broken through divorce and that would have been a legal process. And so at that point, they would use the terms husband and wife even, even though they weren't married yet. And there would be no intimacy yet. But if there was any sort of unfaithfulness during this stage, it would have been considered adultery. And so the punishment for adultery in that culture was stoning. Now, that was more rare, but it was on the book, so to speak. And even though we don't hear a lot about stoning in the New Testament, it did happen. And so it was a serious offense to commit any kind of adultery during this engagement stage. And, you know, it even went so far as if one of those people died, they would have been called a widow or a widower. And so it was really close to marriage, even though it wasn't quite considered marriage. And then after a year, that's when the second stage would happen. And that's when they would have the formal wedding ceremony and the formal marriage. And so if we think about this in terms of the culture, Joseph would have initially thought that Mary committed adultery. So as a righteous man, The scriptures say that it was appropriate for him to divorce her. And I think that is an important point that I want to make that sometimes, well, most of the time we're not taught in churches. You know, I went through a really ugly divorce at a very young age, and it was a result of my former spouse committing adultery. And as a believer, I agonized over that because we had a young daughter at the time, and I was pregnant with another daughter, and God hates divorce. And yet the lifestyle choices that he was making, it wasn't a one-time situation, but it was a lifestyle situation. And so I felt that the Lord was leading me to get a divorce in that situation, and I carried so much shame around that. But when I was studying this, one of the things that just brought me to tears was this often overlooked aspect of how in ancient Judaism, when Jesus is coming on the scene, this is scriptural, divorce for adultery was not optional. It was mandatory. In fact, Jewish law, Greek law, and Roman law all would have required Joseph to divorce Mary for adultery. There was no option for a second chance. And the reason for that was adultery produced something within the marriage a state of impurity that essentially spiritually dissolved the marriage. And so as a righteous man, Joseph had to divorce her because otherwise it would be condoning the sin of adultery. Or so he thought, you know, we know that Mary didn't commit adultery, but at this point he did. And so he really had two options as a righteous man. He had the option of making it known publicly and she would be disgraced and humiliated and she would be labeled an adulteress, and she could even be stoned according to the Jewish law. Or the second option was he could divorce her quietly, which was really the only option for someone who was righteous because it would save Mary from public humiliation and possibly death. The law didn't require that the divorce would be made public. It would only need to have a couple of witnesses. But even still, what we see in Joseph is he didn't respond in anger. 
He didn't respond in a smear campaign. He didn't respond the way that I think a lot of us would. But instead, he made a plan to do it quietly. I think even that is a mark of his character. But if I think about this in terms of my own life, and maybe this is where you're at too, maybe not for your own life, but maybe somebody you love or you care about, the shame that comes to people that have been dealt a hand that they didn't want, you know, for people that are facing divorce because of adultery, the shame that we carry is not biblical. In fact, staying in that marriage would be an endorsement of adultery. I just want that to sit with you for a minute because I think that's opposite of what we often learn in the church. And again, a lot of times that's done. It's well-meaning. You know, they want people want to save marriages. But I think for me and for other people that have walked through this, when you felt like you had no choice, there's so much freedom in knowing that by standing up and saying, no, adultery is not right, and this is not what God wants for my marriage, we are in line with Scripture. I'm just going to leave that there for you. And not to say that God cannot redeem things. He does, and he has, and I've seen it. But for some people, both people have to want that in the marriage. So that's just what I'm going to leave there with you for right now. So moving on, in verse 20, what we see is an angel of the Lord appears to him. Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, an angel of the Lord refers to God himself. But here it's referring to an actual angel. And we know this because the Greek word angelos means messenger. And so one of the angel's primary roles is being a messenger from God to people. And sometimes they would take on human form. Sometimes they were in angel form. But also dreams in that Greco-Roman world had a little bit different weight than it does, I think, for, for a lot of people now. And it was a common belief at the time that Dreams were supernatural in the sense that it was communication supernaturally that could be divine, it could be evil, or it could be what you ate for dinner last night. But many, many experienced that because you have to remember this was before the Holy Spirit. This is before the incarnation. And so the way that God's spirit worked and moved at that time was a little bit different than maybe what's more common today. But many still experience that today. I myself have. But in general, this was a much more common and much more expected and practiced understanding of how God operated. I think my human guess is that God worked a little bit differently after he sent the Holy Spirit than before. And so the people understood that and were open to it in a different way than they are now. The angel goes on to tell Joseph, he says that what was conceived in her was by the Holy Spirit. And so when the Old Testament writers refer to the Spirit of God, they're talking about God's power. But in this instance, right here, this is the first mention of the third person of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And there's this recognition that the Holy Spirit is distinct from the Father and the Son. I love that. Starting at the very, very beginning of Matthew's Gospel. In 1 verse 21, we see that his name shall be Jesus. And you know, I didn't know this for a long time, that the name Jesus was actually a really common first century name. And it came from the word Joshua. Yeshua is what the translation would be. But it means God is salvation. And I think we have to remember that in that time frame, names were symbolic. 
And in fact, this is another indication that this was a period of time where the people were longing for this rescue from the promised Messiah. So there was this expectation that the Messiah was going to come and save Israel from this Roman oppression. And it was during this time frame that the angel makes it clear that salvation is the sin from the people of Israel is what they need. And Jesus is going to be the one to deliver it. I love that. In verse 23, it talks about how the prophet Isaiah prophesied that he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And maybe that's a little bit confusing for you because it was for me because I couldn't find any place where Jesus was referred to as Emmanuel other than right here. And so that confusion, I think, can be cleared up by understanding the function of those words. And you have to remember that if you're reading in English, you're reading a translation, and it's a translation of either Hebrew or Greek. And at that time frame, it could have been both. It could have been a little bit of Aramaic because we know that they also spoke that in Galilee. But really what we're looking at is what the the heart of Isaiah's message was. The name Jesus talks about what he does. It means God saves. And the name Emmanuel talks about who he is, God with us. And so when Isaiah says he's going to be called the Emmanuel, he's meaning he's going to be called God with us, which we know Jesus is. In verse 25, it says that Joseph and Mary maintain abstinence until after Jesus is born, not just as a fulfillment of that Jewish law about purity, but they want to make sure that there's no question about Jesus being virgin born. But that word until helps us understand that that was not a permanent thing. And after Jesus was born, they become a fully integrated couple and they even go on to have other children. And so it's a common misconception that Mary remained a virgin her entire life. It's just not true. There's an important aspect I want to make sure that you don't miss. It's this note about adoption. See, when it says that Joseph named the baby Jesus, What we miss in that is this understanding of naming. Yesterday, we talked about the Messianic line where Jesus comes as a descendant of King David. But one thing I think that we often overlook when we're reading this quickly is the fact that this happened through adoption. It was through Joseph's lineage that there was a connection to King David. We saw that yesterday in the genealogy and today we read it in verse 20. Joseph is called a son of David, just like Jesus is. But Mary conceived Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and it was through Joseph's adoption of Jesus that he gained that lineage. By Joseph naming Jesus, it's an indication to us that culturally he adopted him as his own son. That act of naming was a legal status in that culture. So we learn here that Joseph has adopted Jesus, and Jesus became his heir. You know, as Christians— We are sons and daughters of God through adoption, and it's a fact of the Christian experience. And so after coming to faith in Jesus, we become united with him and his spirit enters into us and we are adopted into the family of God. It is a legal and binding contract. His heritage becomes our heritage. And in many ways, the adoption of Jesus right at the onset is a foreshadowing of the same process that God uses to invite us into his family. And we will see that again and again throughout the New Testament. One last note. This was a culture that equated wisdom with age. And so Joseph and Mary's young age, 13, 14 years old, Mary would have been, Joseph maybe 18, the righteousness and the wisdom 
and the compassion that those two exhibited is something that the people around them would sit up and take notice of. And I think we should too. It's something that we often see in Matthew's gospel, this fact that young people could be an effective model of Christianity. I love that. And so for any of our younger listeners or those of you that have kids that age, I want you to think about that. The God of the universe who could have done this in any way he wanted to intentionally chose young people to be an effective model of what he requires. It means it's not complicated. It means that if they can do it, we can do it. It doesn't matter your age. The The Holy Spirit falls upon all flesh. It's not like there's a junior version of the Holy Spirit for young people and a mature version of the Holy Spirit for older people. No, it's the same Holy Spirit. And so I think all of those insights are things that really bring a lot of value to the text when we understand the background information of this gospel. So given that insight, I'm going to go back and read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You know, one last thought before I pray. This was a pretty radical situation. And even though Joseph had experienced this dream and this message from the Holy Spirit, there was something else required. It was the obedience. It was the obedience on the part of Joseph. And I think sometimes that's where we get stuck. Even when we do hear God's voice, when we're hearing Jesus clearly, sometimes it's hard for us to be obedient. So I think that's my prayer for you today. My prayer is that when you hear God's voice, that you would be obedient to what it is that he's calling you to do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the treasure that is your word and the way that you reveal yourself to us through it. God, I pray for my friends today that are listening and learning and leaning into this season of their lives where they're they're learning more about who you are and what you say in your word. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in a way that is healing, that brings life. Father God, we thank you for your love and the way from the very beginning you show us that we are adopted into God's family in the same way that Jesus was. Lord, I thank you for the way that you operate and the way that you consistently love us and draw us in. God, I pray for a blessing on my friends today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'll see you guys back here tomorrow. Hey friends, before you go, I want to make sure you know about our Patreon page. The Patreon page is really a place to gain all sorts of resources specifically for the Hearing Jesus podcast and the Hearing Jesus for Kids podcast. There's a specific and dedicated private Facebook group, which is a place for me to interact with you, to pray with you, to answer questions. I'd love it for you to join us there. And there's also another level that gives you the inside scoop on everything else that's going on. The journaling prompts are there. If you've been with us for some time, you know that I usually do journaling prompts that helps us get that information from the head to the heart. We have a downloadable daily prayer prompt that helps you get that information 
processed in a way that affects your daily life. There's also a Bible reading tracker on there. There's bonus episodes, lots of things on an ongoing basis, a place where you can get all the resources to help you grow in your faith. And the second thing I want to mention to you is the Dawn app, which if you've never heard of that before, I have good news for you. I just recently recorded a series for the Dawn app and also did some writing for them. And it's a daily Bible study and prayer app that is completely free. The link for that is in the show notes. And then the last thing I'm super excited about, I want to tell you that we're going to start having opportunities for travel. This is going to look a couple different ways, depending on what you're looking for, but it's going to cover things like mission trips in-person retreats, and also eventually a Bible study trip to Rome. What I'm doing right now is I'm getting everybody's contact information so we can start communicating about what that might look like. So if you are interested in any of that, you can head to shehears.org for more information. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helps encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going.